I'm Tom DeSorcy, and you've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. This is Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by First Alert, safety you can trust. Weather forecasting has become such a valuable tool in firefighting, in particular when those fires are those of the wildland variety, and weather can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Matt McDonald is a meteorologist formerly in storm prediction with Environment and Climate Change Canada, and now a lead fire weather forecaster with the Predictive Services Unit for the BC Wildfire Service. Matt joins us today from his home base in Nelson, British Columbia, and Thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure, Tom. We're off to a busy fire season, but yeah, glad to uh, finally connect with you here. So I always, you know, I interview people all the time and and I could do a bio and talk, but maybe give me your story. How did you get involved in, first of all, the the meteorological game? And and, I mean, you were with Environment Canada and uh, where did it all start? Give us the story. Give us the background. Yeah, good question. So I grew up out east in uh, in Montreal and uh, in this little town called Hudson, Quebec, just uh, off the west side of the island. And uh, we had a little yacht club in our hometown. And uh, my parents, you know, to keep us busy in the summer, threw us into a junior sailing program. So we're talking like mini little boats, optimists and, and lasers. We'd put around on the lake. And then after a few years of that, I, you know, got into racing and joined the Quebec junior sailing team. And and one of my teammates' fathers uh, was a fantastic sailor, Greg Bowser, uh, Olympian. And he was also a pilot for Air Canada. And he would give us talks to our sailing team about weather. And I thought that was super interesting. And so, you know, I was kind of going the science route through high school and SAGEP, which is uh, grade 11 and 12 in Quebec. And then, um, yeah, I did a ski bum year in Whistler, fell in love with British Columbia and the mountains. And then when it came time to go to university, I was literally just going through the the course catalog and saw that McGill offered a uh, an atmospheric science and, uh, you know, degree. So threw my name in the hat, did my four years there. And then uh, I was really lucky uh, when I was graduating from McGill, uh, after a 10-year hiring freeze, Environment Canada was finally hiring meteorologists again. So in 2003, uh, they they sucked me in. And uh, yeah, after a year of training, started my career in Montreal doing aviation forecasts for four years. And I just kept begging them, can they please get a transfer to the, the Pacific Storm Prediction Center in, in Vancouver? And yeah, in 2007, that happened. And then, yeah, total of uh, 18 years with uh, with Environment Canada, which was amazing. I mean, incredible institution, a ton of really skilled and passionate uh, people working there. And um, yeah, it's been a fun ride. And now you find yourself in the uh, in the wildfire service, <laughs> in being involved in the fire service. I mean, weather and fire go hand in hand. I mean, they they really do. It 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 changes. The way, of course, in the wildland game, how you will will fight fire, how you prepare for fire, it's taken on a bit of a different role than it has. I mean, it wasn't always like this, was it? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I, I previous to joining the BC Wildfire Service, I was on the the periphery, you know, working in Environment Canada. Our, our bread and butter was really the the public forecasts and uh, and and severe weather alerts. And you know, we'd kind of get dragged into the mix when we'd have big fire seasons. You know, I think back to 17, 2017 and 2018, uh, where where it just becomes this kind of all hands on deck. And you know, once emergency management British Columbia is drawn in, we get drawn in as, as subject matter experts. 
But when I made the jump into um, into the BC Wildfire Service, uh, yeah, it's a totally different application of meteorology. You know, I, I say that we we look at weather, but through a very different lens. You know, for example, in wildfire, very sensitive to winds and you know seemingly innocuous winds in the in the public domain of you know 15 to 20 kilometers an hour is actually a big deal in the world of wildfire. And then uh, relative humidity, like I've never really cared about relative humidity uh, so much as in wildfire because it really drives. Uh, the fuel conditions and then the, the fire behavior. How exact a science is predicting weather? I mean, I've known you for a bunch of years, and I know kind of know the answer to this. And it's 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 the the crystal ball is not as clear as it could be. Absolutely, uh, I'm the first one to admit that uh, it's a really tricky thing, you know. And and I think people often forget what it is we're actually doing. You know, you're taking this three dimensional viscous fluid that is the atmosphere. And I really love the analogy of uh, if you compare the earth and its atmosphere, the atmosphere's thickness is the same of the as the skin on an apple. You know, so within that super tiny slim layer, we're trying to figure out all this, you know, fluid dynamics and energy exchanges and balances. And, you know, there's all these complex fluid dynamic equations that are governing these really you know, sophisticated numerical weather prediction models uh, that are run by a, a $50 million supercomputer that right, resides in Montreal. Um, you know, there's a lot going on here. And I think over the years, people just take it for granted that like, oh yeah, they thought it, they said it was going to rain in three days and, and then it rains in three days. And people almost take ownership of the forecast because they happen to look at it at on the app on their phone, you know? And when we actually pump the brakes and think like, that's pretty amazing. They actually forecasted the storm three, four, five days in advance when it, it hadn't even, you know, been born in the in the Western Pacific. So there's definitely a lot going on. Um, the the science of meteorology is is still pretty young. You know, it's come a long way. Uh, they say that for every ten years we gain one day of accuracy. So, you know, back in the 70s when when Environment Canada kind of entered the game and we're, we're really fortunate as Canadians to, you know, be amongst the top five weather agencies in the world. Uh, and again, mostly because we got in early and we, we started developing that expertise, the weather models. Um, but yeah, there's a lot going on. It's it's fascinating. And, and ultimately, you know, we'll never be able to model the atmosphere in its entirety. You know, there'll always be that element of chaos. Um, you'll, you'll never be able to capture all the complex, you know, physical interactions going on within the atmosphere. And the, the, the classic, you know, analogy being, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings in Australia and we get a, a hurricane five days later. It's not quite that simple, but, you know, there's, there is a lot going on there. And Ultimately, if I've learned anything, you know, over the past 20 years of, of doing this is that um, there's so much to be said about pattern recognition. You know, uh, some of my mentors at, uh, at Environment Canada and now within the BC Wildfire Service, you know, you'll, you'll show them a chart and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember the storm. You know, it was July 1983 and we had a ridge that was just as powerful as the one that we're living through and uh sure enough mark madriga who's a, a broadcast meteorologist there on the coast he uh he remembers you know may 1983 we had this really resilient ridge of high pressure that delivered similar uh, record-breaking temperatures so yeah i think you're, you're quite accurate there it's uh, not an exact science uh I, I will admit we get it wrong a lot but uh, at the same time we do get it right a lot how new is your position and in terms of being working for BC Wildfire? I, I, I remember back 
in the day that, you know, getting a weather forecast was as simple as you say is turning to Environment Canada. Hey, what's going to happen tomorrow? We've got a wildfire in the area. But putting someone like yourself and your team uh, that you belong to on staff, is this unique? First off, is it new? Is it unique to British Columbia? Or are they doing this across Canada? I would say yes and no. Um, the first on-staff fire weather forecaster for the BC Wildfire Service dates back to 1999. And that was uh, Ron Lakeman, uh, a bit of a legend here in the Kootenays. He, uh, and he was previously with Environment Canada. And so prior to that, I mean, weather's always been a really critical part of, of the wildland fire environment and, and fire behavior. They used to second Environment Canada meteorologists to the wildfire service during the summer, which is a really cool setup. They used to take, you know, that expertise, go and plant them in the fire center up in the Caribou or up in Prince George for the summer and uh, just be that resource that would give them daily fire weather briefings. You know, some political program review happened in the 90s and Environment Canada stopped doing that. And so at that point, the BC Wildfire Service started hiring their own in-house fire weather forecasters because it really drives everything we do, be it the planning, the preparation, the response, you know, it, it's really, it drives everything, which is kind of fun because you have a really captive audience, right? Over the last few years, I think um, as as we've had these really big fire seasons, you know, again, the, the, the fire season of 2017, uh, 2018, and then 2021, um, you know, massive, incredible fire seasons. And, you know, the silver lining of that is that we we get more support from uh, from government, we get more funding. And so I think my executive leadership team has gone back to the drawing board and, and looked at how we can really modernize our service. And, you know, they, they go over and check what's happening on the other side of the fence. We've uh, we spent quite a bit of time working with the CAL FIRE in California, uh, with the Australian Wildfire Service, uh, you know, our counterparts in Alberta. And most agencies now have what's called this predictive services unit, which is essentially consisting of a team of fire weather forecasters. Uh, so meteorologists who are really, you know, focusing in on, on fire weather elements. And then uh, we also have a team of fire behavior analysts. So taking that weather, applying it to the fuels and using these pretty sophisticated modeling applications to figure out, okay, well, how's this fire gonna evolve? Where's it gonna go? You know. What if we introduce fuel breaks and start working the fire in different ways? And then, of course, evacuation alerts and orders and all that good stuff. I, I was going to add, you, know, you talked about the past and remembering events or meteorological events from, from in history. How, how much uh, information gathering do you have in, in historical record? Is there enough yet in terms of predicting fire behavior in our future? Or is, is, is that still too, uh, too new in the game? On the national scale, you know, some of our weather observations go back to the turn of the century, so to the late 1800s. Within the BC Wildfire Service, we have we own and operate a network of over 210 weather stations across the province uh, to really monitor, you know, live in-time temperature, relative humidity, winds, and, and precip, and then of course lightning plays a big part of our our uh, our work. And those records go back to about the 70s. And so it's really interesting to draw analogies. And for example, you know, this spring, uh, suffice to say, we're off to a, a really accelerated start to the fire season. Um, conditions in the in the peace country up in the northeast corner of the province are, are not good. <laughs> uh, we've seen a, a significant lack of precipitation there stemming back from last fall. 
and uh, and over winter. So yeah, you know, it's interesting to go and then look and try and find analogs or similar previous events, right? And you know, one cannot ignore this changing climate that we all live in. And it's becoming harder and harder to find analogs. You know, we've, we've actually never seen this before. We've never burnt, you know, 140,000 hectares uh, by May 17th. So, yeah, uh, you know, climate change has definitely got its fingers all over uh, the type of work we do. Um, but yeah, a big part of, of fire weather forecasting is in that pattern recognition. And, you know, oh, I've seen a, I've seen a snappy cold front like this descend from the Northwest and, and be followed by, you know, gusty Northwest winds or stuff like that. When you talk about fire weather, uh, it's, it's different than regular weather, or at least from a forecast perspective, explain that. Yeah, it's been a, a Fantastic learning opportunity. I've been really lucky to, you know, I have a colleague who sits right across the hallway from me, uh, Jesse Ellis, who's been at it for 14 years now, fire weather forecasting, um, you know, some of our contract weather forecasters, which interestingly enough, are entirely made up of retired Environment Canada meteorologists. You know, some of these guys have been at it for 30, 40, even 50 years, believe it or not. So tremendous amount of in-house experience that I am just like a, a leech onto. And um, yeah, it's been really interesting to look at weather, but through a different set of lens, as I mentioned before. You know, my my expertise previous to this was in uh, mountain meteorology and primarily during the winter months. So our, our storm season in British Columbia spans, you know, November through March. And I work quite closely with uh, avalanche professionals, including Avalanche Canada. And I like to think I became quite good at that. And it's it's almost easier in the winter because the storms are so robust and so large in scale that I would bet the farm, the winds are gonna blow, you know, Southeast 80 to hundred kilometers an hour at, at Ridgetop, but you get in the summer and it's sunnier, it's hotter. You don't have a pressure gradient, so to speak. And so forecasting the winds is really tricky business. You know, it's all slope dependent and aspect dependent. And so perhaps as the sunrise, you're getting an easterly upslope wind and, you know, high noon that's switching around to the south. And then you you throw in some convection and, and even worse, the smoke. Uh, the smoke really throws a, a spoke in our wheels when it comes to forecasting. It's such a tricky element because it, it shades fires. It slows the fire behavior. It knocks down the daytime temperatures. So yeah, there's a lot going on in the world of, of fire weather. And uh, it's been a, a humbling experience. I'll call it that. <laughs> What's the difference between the forecast that you give? I mean, and I, I've heard some of the forecasts through emergency management sides of things before that are different than a public forecast i mean it's pretty what's the what's the proper term is it dumbed down the in terms of for the public or just not as much information that giving them what they want to know yeah i think it comes back to adjusting your you know your message to the audience and within the world of wildfire we have a lot of bright people you know a lot of people in our shop have university masters and even doctorate degrees and you know have, have been at this for quite a while so you know, when I come to them with some kind of complicated weather pattern, they're they're all they're all ears and eyes open, and it's it's really speaking to the fuels and how they've been evolving throughout the summer. And I like to say the fuels have a, a really good memory, you know, better than, than most of us in many respects. Uh, like for example, they are not forgetting uh, that last October in uh, 2021 when it was incredibly warm and dry, and while most people were celebrating, you know, extended barbecue and golf season. 
a lot of us in wildfire were shaking our heads saying this is not good. And sure enough, that last October with those record breaking temperatures and that drought has really set the tone for this 2023 wildfire season. And so when we're when we're forecasting weather and we're delivering it to this internal audience of, of firefighters, you know, frontline crews uh, of air attack officers and, and dispatch and, uh, you know, wildfire coordination officers, you know, we have a pretty broad range of individuals, but really we're, we're, we're telling the story with a fire lens. So we're really, you know, focusing in on those, those winds and slight variations in the winds, because that'll really determine where a fire is going and how vigorous it's, it's uh, spreading. Um, you know, another interesting difference between the, the public forecast and a, a wildfire forecast is that, you know, we're really, really sensitive to lightning because lightning uh, accounts for more than 60% of our fire starts here in British Columbia. And so, you know, when, when Environment Canada might be, you know, glossing over, yeah, we won't even mention the risk of a thunderstorm. We might only get one and it'll be in the backcountry. So they won't mention it in their, their public forecast. But for us, we really latch on to every individual lightning strike because that one strike could be the one that, you know, ignites a, a pretty sizable fire. How different is the uh, fire weather in British Columbia compared to say in, in Quebec in terms of wildland? Uh, would you have the same uh, predictions uh, there as well? Or are you expecting a different uh, different behavioral pattern? Yeah, you know, I mean, Canada's a, a massive country, right? And, uh, you know, we forecast coast to coast to coast. Um, and, and we get the whole gamut, right? We get wicked blizzard conditions in the winter to extreme heat and drought and floods and tornadoes in the summer. Um, and yeah, to compare and contrast, you know, Western Canada with, with Eastern Canada, there's, there's a lot of differences. Uh, the main one being obviously terrain, right? Terrain plays such a huge factor in, in driving our weather here in British Columbia and, um, you know, all these little microclimates, right? And so within the BC Wildfire Center, we, we have the province broken down into six fire centers and every single one of those fire centers has a dedicated uh, fire weather forecaster who, who really hones their skills specific to that fire center, right? Because you take me who's more experienced with coastal weather forecasting and you plunk me up in the Prince George Fire Center, I'm going to be rather uncomfortable because it's a whole different beast up there, right? And so to then take us and and deploy us to Eastern Canada, be it Ontario and Quebec, again, completely different beast. Um, you know, weather, generally speaking, operates fairly, you know, textbook fashion, but but there's all these exceptions. And really knowing the, the terrain and the local effects is uh, is where it's at when it comes to fire weather forecasting. So when you, when you mentioned looking at, say, the winter before to get a bit of a handle on what's going to happen for the spring or summer to come, what about the summer now, the spring now? Does that have an effect on on what could happen next year, or is that something you can't touch on? Yeah, I mean that's the the fifty million dollar question, right? That uh, my my senior executive comes to me with every you know March. It seems like every year they want it earlier and earlier, and they're like, you know, Matt, what's what's the fire season going to look like? And uh, the best answer I've heard to that is from a, a wildfire officer up in Pemberton, actually, by the name of uh, Rob Dombowski, and he would always say. Want to know what the fire season's going to look like? Ask me in October. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's true in many ways, but, you know, there's a limited, unfortunately, just despite the advancements in science and, you know, climate models and seasonal projections and, you know, us monitoring the, the state of the oceans with El Nino, La Nina, La Nada, 
there's just so much we can tell people, right? And there is some skill in the long range forecasting temperatures. And for as long as I can remember, it seems like every summer forecast is always hotter than normal, hotter than it was last summer, except for perhaps the heat dome. But um, for us in the, and again, in the world of, of wildfire and, and forecasting long-term, it all comes back to the fuels and, and how primed or not those fuels are and how receptive are they to ignition by lightning. And if a fire is to dig in, what's the potential of that fire to really grow and start ripping? And, and again, these drought conditions take several months, even several years to develop. And so there's pockets in and around the province right now that have these elevated, elevated drought conditions. And so even if we were going to have, you know, a quote unquote average or normal fire season, those regions would be primed for, for exceptional fire behavior and growth. As as emergency managers, and you mentioned it, the climate change is, is real. It's here. It's a thing. It is affecting us all. What's your what's your thoughts on the future? Where 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 is it? Where's it going to go for firefighters and and uh, and emergency managers in British Columbia and across Canada? What what's it? What is it just going to get worse? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say, right? I mean, I think it's safe to say that we all have jobs for uh, probably through the end of our careers, you know. Um, I don't think fire is going anywhere. Uh, you know, what's been really interesting is to look at how we're utilizing fire to, to fight fire. And I think the public is, you know, on average is getting more comfortable with this idea that there's, you know, there's good fire and there's bad fire. And when, you know, we have a hot, dry spring like this, it's not all bad news. We've actually taken advantage of these conditions to conduct prescribed fire. Uh, to conduct cultural burns and partnerships with our First Nation communities. And that's been a huge win for us to really eliminate the fuel that's on the landscape and do it in a controlled environment other than waiting for Mother Nature to spark it or for, you know, complacent human to to set one off. So, um, yeah, looking forward down the pipe, I mean, you know, you can't ignore the the science and the statistics, right? We've had seven of our 10 busiest wildfire seasons ever on record dating back to like the 40s all happened within the last 10 years seven out of ten so you know i think the way we're heading if if i've you know observed anything in, in my short career here is that you know we see a lot larger frequency of blocking weather patterns right so you know i remember growing up yeah we get we get heat waves we'd get big snowfalls we'd get heavy rain events but like there's an added 10 20 percent of intensity to these events right and and you know climate change experts have been singing this song for for about a decade now and and i find you can just really observe it you know be it the atmospheric rivers from november 2020 uh the heat dome from june of 2021 you know all within lived memorable history we've seen these like catastrophic epic weather events and i can't see them going any anywhere anytime soon i mean heat is is such a main driver to you know be it hurricanes tornadoes thunderstorms atmospheric rivers like heat is in all of these elements in all these high impact weather events and as we warm the atmosphere you know we're just we're adding heat we're adding fuel to the fire so to speak you're in the prediction business and has anything surprised you <laughs> what's su- what surprised you in the past yeah i mean this current heat wave that's about to end here in the next couple of days was a, a shocking one i mean about two weeks ago when we were our team was looking at the weather charts uh i had a a bit of a 
post-traumatic recall to the the 2021 heat dome, right? You're looking at the the vigor, the scale, and the intensity, and the prolonged duration of this this ridge of high pressure. It, it had heat dome written all over it, but with some very important caveats. And I, I did have my fingers slapped for making the comparison because it's it's a sensitive topic, right? We lost 800 British Columbians to that heat dome. Yeah, some important differences is that you know it, it's occurring five weeks earlier. You know, had this had this heat wave occurred in the middle of July, we'd be in a lot more trouble. But um, yeah, again, you know, it's kind of funny. The public's like celebrating, oh, it's beach weather, it's barbecue weather, it's golfing, but it's like, this is really bad. You know, we are shattering records, you know, not just breaking records, but shattering them right across the board, like not by one or two degrees Celsius. We're talking like eight, nine and 10 degrees Celsius and records that go back again to the late 1800s. So this is a historic uh heat event and again for us in the wildfire service this is not good right it's curing our fuels it's accelerating the dryness in what is typically a relatively wet season right may and june for the interior british columbia is usually our wet season right we usually depend on those monsoonal june rains to you know to alleviate the drought uh, and we haven't seen that. Luckily, we're turning the corner here next week, and we'll we'll get some much needed rain. But I would argue not enough to alleviate those those deep drought conditions. So, yeah, have I been surprised? I would say I I'm more and more surprised. You know, if anything, it's a bit cliche, but you know, expect the unexpected. And uh, the old saying, I've never seen this before. It's like I think we'll be saying a lot of that in the future. I appreciate your time and the insight is, uh, it's incredible. We could talk for a long time, but, but again, thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure, Tom. Glad to connect and talk with you. It's been a while. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by First Alert, safety you can trust. For more episodes, visit firefightingincanada.com.